I'm thankful for our for our elementary school ministry and um, those who lead that and um, our kids being a part of that. It's always fun to see the kids go. So um, last week we started talking about. I really we started talking about the light of the world. We started at the end of our series on friending, where um, part of the plan for God to redeem the world is to let them know about the beauty of Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is through friendships. So the way that we friend, the way that we invest in people, and um, the way that we love people is not just uh, a way that adds to our lives or their lives. It's one of the ways that the world sees that, that God is good and there is hope in Christ. So last week, we started talking about this light more specifically um, and the light of the world is the light in us. And we looked at the fact that Jesus announced this truth, not just in us. He first announced that he was the light of the world at a very important time in, the light, in Jewish life, um, which was at the Feast of the Tabernacles, where they would light these enormous menorahs in the temple courtyards that would illuminate the whole temple. And it would symbolize that God had been with them and had guided them through the desert as they left Egypt and before they entered the promised land. And so this was to remind them of this great deliverance that they had received from God himself. And so Jesus will then go on and say, you are the light of the world. We talked a little bit about that on the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus is saying, when you have this thing that I'm showing you, when you begin to receive the light that I'm offering you, then you will then shed that light around the world and so that people can know you or know me and people can also be redeemed. We spent, oh, a good almost six months in, through our study through Genesis and we discovered that a good part of the story, really the whole story is about God calling us back to the place in which he created us, which was to be with him in the garden. No guilt, no shame, no sin, but it is something that we will spend the rest of our lives exploring and discovering how do we truly experience this offer of redemption. We traced several stories through Genesis 1 through 11 about how God would continue to work to bring them back to this place. And then the life of Abraham from Genesis 12 through Genesis 50, um, just in this continuing story of I am drawing you to me. Today what I want to talk to you about uh, is... Last week was the light in me. You have the opportunity to have the light of God within your life. This week, I want to talk about the light of God in us as community. And this is essentially what I shared with you last week, which is important um, in any relationship that the people entering into the relationship uh, are, are healthy individuals who understand that they're bringing some level of health to a relationship, which makes that relationship itself healthy. For example, when you start dating uh, and you start thinking about getting married, one of the most destructive relationships are, is when you have someone who's healthy and someone who's unhealthy in a dating relationship and they come together and it is generally um, going to have lots and lots of problems. That's one of the reasons whenever I talk to young couples who are getting married, it is important that you can be whole and healthy alone before you can be whole and healthy together because we each bring all of our stuff into this relationship well 
it's important for us, being the body of Christ, that we enter into relationship with each other, recognizing that we have a role to play and that there is a certain level of light in us, but then there's also reflected exponentially the light in us together. And so um, we said that just the fact that Jesus would say that, that he is the light of the world presupposes that there is darkness. And that is not hard for us to understand. We can watch the news. We can scroll through Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever your favorite social media is, and you can be inundated with unending bad news, unending bad things that are happening in the world. Light presupposes that there is darkness. If we go back and we look at the creation story, darkness was here before light was here. And we talked about the way that ancient Near Eastern peoples, and especially the, the Hebrews and then the Jews who wrote Genesis, said that the day began in darkness and then the light came. So our day actually begins the night before, not the morning that we wake up from bed, and which has some really great practical applications for some of us to really be intentional about the way we spend the 24 hours we're given in a day. But light presupposes there's darkness in which you know that. And some in this room, you're dealing with various levels of darkness within your own life. Some things haven't gone right. You're struggling with some ideas that are floating around in your head. There are times that we just embrace really unhealthy thoughts and really unhealthy voices in our own heads telling us you're not worth much. You're no good. You don't have anything to offer. But that is opposite of what all of Scripture tells us, that we are made in the image of God. We have this opportunity to be in relationship with God. And not only can we have a relationship with God, we can have relationships with each other that also are incredibly valuable not only to God but to us and demonstrate this is what God really wants for us. Light presupposes darkness. We then said that we had the opportunity to walk in the light, which is something that we sometimes miss depending on the way that you grew up. Uh, if you grew up in church where it was about going to church and about doing different things, you can do all the things and yet feel completely empty inside. You can go to church every week and feel like, I just I feel this, this darkness closing in on me. You can do all the things you think you're supposed to do and still struggle with depression and still struggle with discouragement and still struggle with just getting up and going about your day it is possible to do all these things. Instead, what Jesus tells us is we have the invitation and the opportunity to walk in the light. We have to make the choice to do that walking. We can't just sit and wait. And then I asked you a couple of questions um, to end last week. One is, what darkness are you struggling with? We mentioned Cain and Abel. We mentioned uh, some of the discussion we've been having in our Bema group, which is um, Master of the Beast. The Beast is sometimes in our head saying, you don't matter. You're no good. God doesn't love you. No one else does either. And there are times we have to master that because that voice messes up the way we live our lives and messes up our relationships with each other. If we enter into a relationship expecting them to not like us or expecting that they have an issue with us, we're expecting that they're going to hurt us. We're going to approach them in a way that's just not healthy. So we have the opportunity to walk in the light. 
But the question, the first question I posed was, what darkness are you struggling with? Is it depression? Is it loss of hope? Is it feeling alone? Is it feeling unworthy? And then I asked you, what is one step that you can take today? <coughs> Excuse me, in following, <coughs> in following Christ. Is there a decision you need to make? Hold on just a second. Is there a decision you need to make? Have you grown cold in your attempts to follow Christ? Have you never really embraced this light or committed to follow Christ no matter what? <coughs> Excuse me. And as we look at these things, what is it that you can do in following Christ? I wanted to share with you just a few things that are some of the behind the scenes about life and about following God and about being the church. I think this is relevant to the conversations and the things we're praying for at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And it is this idea that in life you can do everything right and things still go wrong. It's an idea that the world struggles with when they ask, why do bad things happen to good people? If God loves us, why doesn't he just fix everything? And if God really wanted to redeem the world, couldn't he do something to just kind of get us on track that would keep us from going off track? And throughout the history that we read of the Jewish people, what we find is that there is this, this reality of the already, but the not yet. The thing that has happened, but something that is still left that hasn't happened yet, that we hope is going to happen and in life there's lots of ways that you and i live in this already not yet idea i'm intrigued by this new technology and and we we all live in this technological age and this kind of perpetual already not yet have you all been following what's going i'm sure you've had elon musk in your feed somewhere have you been following this thing he's doing with Neuralink? How many of you have are following any of that stuff? A couple of, three, four of you, yeah. Some of you, I, I don't know, but I'm going to raise my hand because I, I, I'm in the know. But, so a lot of you aren't. So Neuralink is this idea, and this is something that as we think about the church moving forward, I mentioned last week we need to be thinking about the church 10 years from now, not just the church today. As we think about the things that the church is going to struggle with moving forward, one of the big things coming down the pike for us is medical ethics. The ability for us to do things that, is it good to do? (laughs) I mean, is it the right thing to do? Now, I don't bring up that this is an unethical thing, this idea of Neuralink. But what it does do is it provides us a, a really good idea of the already not yet. So the Neuralink, and I've got some pictures. So the Neuralink, next picture, is an implant that can go in your brain. And what the reason this is in the news right now is because um, he's saying that human trials are expected to start sometime in the next six months. He's been saying that for a couple of years, so we'll see. But he's saying it... Um, Human trials should start in the next six months. Now, this idea of augmentation is not new. In fact, we see it uh, in movies and comic books and stories, and it's fascinating. You know, some of us grew up back in the 80s with RoboCop. 
or the bionic man or the bionic woman. You remember those things? We daydream about those opportunities that we could be enhanced, that we could run faster and jump higher, and we could remember more. And it's incredible where we've come with technology in a very short amount of time. One of the things that's fascinating about this technology, and I think I've got one more picture. What's really fascinating about this technology, and one of the the applications that they're hoping to use this for, um, is to help those people who are blind or who are almost blind to be able to see. They're also hoping that this will help those who have some part in their body that they'll be able to move again. Now, we can read those stories, and there's an already not yet part of this idea of Neuralink. So we, we have prosthetics. I can wear glasses. You know, we have hearing aids. If you have some kind of a heart flutter, we, we can put a pacemaker into and, and sew it into your body so that it will regulate the your heartbeat, and we can also put a defibrillator in there so if your heart stops, it will shock your heart back into rhythm, and it just lives right there in your body with you. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. Now, when we read stories like Neuralink, I mean, it's interesting to think about, and we think, well, how could we benefit from that? But can you imagine... Someone who can't see and is blind when they hear that there may be some technology that's going to be tested on people in the very near future, that they've been blind and they will not have to be blind anymore. Or someone who is struggling with paralysis in some form, and I don't know all of the applications, I'm sure there are some applications that it's not going to be able to overcome, like severing of a spinal cord or something, but I don't know. I don't know. They're a lot smarter than I am. But someone, for whatever reason, who is not being able to move, all of a sudden they're able to move because of this implant. See, there's an already aspect of this in the sense that we have images of augmentation, whether they be good or whether they be bad. But then there's also an expectation that something is coming that is so much better and so much more helpful, but it's not here yet. There are some things we have that can help with these things, But there's more that we hope are going to come. This is the story of life for most people. And if we read through some scriptures, we also find this is the story of life for the Hebrews who would become the Jews. They were a people that were called by God and they enter into Egypt as Joseph begins to enact a plan under the blessing of Pharaoh to bless Egypt, to help Egypt grow and to Um, the wealth and the influence that it had in the region as a result of just being at the the edge of a a, river, (laughs) that they would have water, which means they could have food. Whenever there was a drought or whenever there was a famine, they would come to Egypt because Egypt could grow. I mean, there was always food in Egypt. And as it grew and the nation of the Hebrews grew, eventually Joseph would die and several hundred years would pass until they were enslaved in Egypt. And then we have Moses entering into the story. As they leave this moment of the story, they leave under great duress and great pain because they're enslaved. This is not the life that they want to live. 
And so the scriptures tell us they cry out to God, God hears their groanings, and that he provides a way for them to leave. But then as they leave Egypt, they wander in the desert. They have their freedom, but yet they're still longing for something more. We're free. We're not slaves. But yet God has promised us a promised land, and it would take them another 40 years to enter into it. That was a perpetual moment already, but not yet. Eventually, a prophecy would come and say, there's another deliverer coming, but this deliverer is unlike any other deliverer that the Jewish nation has ever had. It's not like the judges. It's not like King David. It's not like Moses. He's something more, bigger, better. And as Jesus came on the scene, he said, I am the light of the world, and you have the opportunity to have this light within your life if you want it. And when Jesus came... He made several startling announcements about what was going to happen. He says, there is something here. I am here with you now, but there's more that will come later. There's an alreadiness that Jesus has come. There's an alreadiness that we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus was born. He came in the form of a baby for us. But there's also a not yet. There's the not yet of Jesus is coming again. There's the not yet of there will be a new heaven and a new earth. For some of our most foundational beliefs and most foundational hopes is that we already have the opportunity to know Jesus, but there's a not yet in that we really hope that this heaven thing works out for us. There's this already not yet. Within our church, we're, we're going through this process together. There's an alreadiness and a not yet. There's an already a community that cares about each other that's here in this place and in this city, but there's a not yet because we're seeking to see what God wants next. There's an already and a not yet. This is the nature of the kingdom. If you're sitting here today and you've been praying for something over and over again, maybe you've experienced some answer to that prayer and some that has not yet been answered. There's an already not yetness in the way that you pray right now. I want you to know this is the way life works. This is the way faith works. This is how God works. There's an already, and then there's that longing for the thing that is not yet. What is that for you? What is the already not yetness of the kingdom in your life? What is the already not yetness in the kingdom for our church? I, as we finish praying today, I uh, encourage those that were with us this morning simply to say, as you pray this week amongst yourselves, I want you to pray about the church. What is the church meant to be? to erase all of the expectation you have of what church is supposed to do. Church is supposed to have worship on Sunday mornings. Church is supposed to have these different ministries. Church is supposed to whatever. One of the challenges we have as we think about being an authentic church for now and in the future is erasing from our minds all of the expectations because of what we've previously experienced. 
If you grow up in a home and you have parents that have an unhealthy marriage, then it's really hard for you then to go have a healthy marriage unless someone intervenes and says, let me show you a better way. We come to the church about converse, with a conversation about what does the church, where does it go from here? What does it look like to be uh, the church in 10 years? We have to recognize there are some things we've seen. It doesn't mean they're all bad, but it, it, there are some things we've seen that color what we expect. And if we want to seek God and want God to be among us and to do something special here in this place and in this city, then that means we have to stop expecting things that we've already seen and we have to begin expecting things that God wants to do. There is an alreadiness. There is a not-yetness. We're spending time praying together for the not-yetness. Does that make sense? You're getting tired probably hearing me say that phrase. And yet, when you leave here today, if you will remember the already, not yet, you will see it popping up in your life regularly. There's an already, not yetness of the kingdom. This is how Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. He says this, <clears throat> For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, remember Paul's writing this, and Paul's writing this after Jesus has already died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. He's writing to a group of churches uh, in Rome, in which they don't really know what any of this stuff is about, and they're trying to figure it out. And he's trying to help them to see there's this, this aspect of we have received something. Something has come. We have the opportunity to have something. But even now, we still are eagerly waiting for the complete fulfillment of all the things Jesus says was going to happen. If you're in a place of longing, you're in good company. If you're in a place of wondering, when's it going to happen? You're in good company. If you're in a time in your life and you're praying for something and you're like, I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying and it sure feels like God would have done something by now if He's going to do something, it helps us to remember that before the announcement of the birth of Jesus, 400 years had passed from the last time God had spoken through a prophet that we know of to the birth of Jesus. There was an expectation that God was no longer speaking. There was an all readiness. For practicing Jews today, they still live in the not yetness of waiting for the Messiah to come. They don't think it's Jesus. So if you're in that place, this is part of what it means for us to do life together as a church. 
We revel in the all-readiness. We spend time talking about the good things God has done. We spend time celebrating that Jesus is among us and in our lives, and we have this opportunity to experience more. But we also sit in eager anticipation together for the not-yetness and the fact that God still has more to do, something He has not yet done, some that we know of that He has promised, but other things He has not yet shown us what He's intending to do. This is part of what it means to have the light in us. There is a creation that is groaning. We talk about evangelism. Next week we're going to talk about the light for the world. There's a light in us, or in me. The light in us, and the light for the world is what we'll talk about next week. As we think about what is the church in this season and In this time, there is a part of us that we come together and we celebrate and we love and we serve and we give and we go and we help and we bring people into the body. But there's a part of us that we're still waiting to see all that God's going to do among us. And we can eagerly wait together. We can eagerly anticipate together. So as we pray about the future of Journey Church, one of the questions that keeps coming up to me is, where should the church be today in this already but not yet season? As a pastor, I can get really focused on programs and facilities and How do you reach the next generation, which is a big part of this conversation, recognizing how exponentially fast our kids are walking away from faith. And it leads to this question of where should we be in the already but not yet season? What does that mean for us as Journey Church? What does that mean for us as a body of believers? What does that mean for us together in this place? What does that look like? And John wrote a letter to the churches that he had helped start. And we read those letters in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And this is one of the things he wrote in 1st John um, verses 5 through 10. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. One of the things that uh, is very easy to, a a trap that's very easy to fall into when we talk about faith, we talk about Christianity, we talk about the church, is the idea that what we believe is most important. We talked a a little bit about this last week that we got to make sure we believe all the right things. And I will just tell you that if your focus and your faith is believing all the right things, you're going to struggle to grow in your faith. 
there are whole churches and denominations and I, there have been different times in my life where I just was so focused on belief and when you're coming new into faith and you're really not sure exactly what it's all about, there's, it's, it is important to study and to learn and to find out, well, what do we believe and what are we supposed to believe? And, but one of the things we often miss is that the beauty of knowing Christ comes in the following, not in just mentally agreeing with something. A lot of times the things that fall by the wayside is that daily struggle with what am I supposed to do with this versus what am I supposed to believe about this? I believe I should go work out every day. It's different from I go work out every day, right? I believe I should eat healthier is different than I'm eating healthier, right? I believe it's important to go to work is very different from showing up at work, isn't it? And if we're unclear about that, our bosses will make sure and clear it up with us real fast. (laughs) Yeah, the showing up matters. What John is saying, what Paul is saying, I referenced James last week, which I'll read again in just a moment, is that what we do matters. If you ask 15 people their opinion on something, you're likely to get at least 10 different answers, if not 15. One of the things I shared with you that I'm struggling with is this reality of this exponentially growing group of of young millennials and older Gen Z who are interested in some conversation about faith, but just not the church. Jesus would simply say this, They're inseparable. So what is it that draws a person to Jesus that pushes them away from His people? The reality is is there is something for us to do as we are the light. I think there's a time that um, we sometimes believe that just for the fact that we are Christians, that makes us the light. I will just say I don't. I reject that idea. The way that we demonstrate Christ to others is the difference between demonstrating light and darkness. If we read verse seven again in First John, it says this: If we walk in the light, two things will happen. <clears throat> Last week we talked about walking in the light. If we walk in the light. Two things will happen. Number one, we will have fellowship with one another. That's what it says. If you're following Jesus, you'll have fellowship with other believers. This is one of the reasons Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling together because there is a natural expression of faith in Christ that is worked out with other people who also have faith in Christ. That body is not limited to a church. That body is the church, big C, around the world, every person that professes Christ and is walking in the light is a part of the church. We're a small group of a massive church that's happening around the world. We're just a little piece of it. There are little pieces of it all over our city, and at times, these little pieces come together and we do things together. One of the things that has not been important to the church in in years past has been unity among differing congregations. As if this is our church. It's really not. 
you know, it's really not our church. Like, we are part of the church. We're part of them. They're a part of us. And so when we talk about actually walking in the light, there's a part of that that we will have fellowship with others, with each other. John, I imagine John struggled. Uh, some of the churches he had started were struggling with this very thing. And he said, this is why he said it to them, if you are walking in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. Not, if you're walking in the light, you should have fellowship with one another. Two, two very different things. And I think this is how we sometimes manipulate language and manipulate thoughts. And this is also, I, I mention this struggle all the time. I, I could try to guilt you into doing things, and you might do them for a short period of time because you feel guilty, or I've said that's what you're supposed to do, but it never works to actually bring life change. I can guilt you into reading the Bible and you will be thinking every word that you scroll across, you will be thinking about how much more before I can quit. Well, he wants me to do a chapter a day. All right. I'm almost to the end of the chapter. It's very different from God has given me his word in this place and it can change me. I, I need to know how this story has unfolded for countless people before me because it has an impact on my life right now. There's a difference there. It's the same with giving. You don't give. Listen, next week we won't have heat. So you better, we will have heat next week, by the way. But if, if, the, if we do, if that's the reason we give, you might give because you're, you're, you're like, I feel guilty. I'm using the heat. We want to have heat. It might be cold next week. There's very difference in that, and God has given me. I have the opportunity to give to others. There's a very different reality there. There's a very different reality in if you walk in the light, you should have fellowship with one another, and if you're walking in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. That doesn't mean that if I don't have a whole lot of friends, I must not be a good Christian. I know some people that are fine with no friends or one friend or three friends. I know others say every person they meet is a friend. This is just a natural outpouring of what happens when we follow the teachings of Jesus. It bonds us together. What does it look like for us to continue to do that? The second thing it says will happen if you're walking in the light is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Most of us jump here. I want, to be, I want to be made whole. I want to be clean. I don't want to go to hell. And he's saying that is not just based on your belief. It's based on you walking in the light. It's based on you following these teachings. And a lot of times what we want in a culture that is so enamored with comfort is we want the easy way. And there is no easy way of walking in the light. A lot of times we just want whatever is the most comfortable, the thing that's going to cost me the least, <clears throat> and gives me the greatest return on the least amount of investment that I give. And if you live your faith out that way, you will be disappointed your entire life. And it is very possible that one day you will stand before Christ and He will say, I never knew you. In other words, what he's really saying is, you never really knew me. 
If we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So that leaves us with some problems, doesn't it? Like many things, that means we have to begin asking the question, well, what what do these words mean? What does fellowship mean? And that's something I think we need to spend some time struggling with over the next few weeks. What does it really mean to, to have fellowship? If you have... Fairweather friends, fellowship looks like one thing. But if you have a friend that clicks, that sticks closer than a brother, you've got something very different. What does fellowship really mean? If you have a friend who's constantly letting know how you messed up and how you've disappointed them and, and what you need to do to be a better friend, then you'll probably struggle with wanting to have too many friends, to be quite honest. Because, I mean, how many of those people do we really want in our lives telling us what we're doing wrong and what we need to do better to make them happy? I mean, you probably are going to begin to kind of keep people at arm's length. But, But someone who's there no matter what, someone who forgives and gives grace, someone who loves even at the at times to the point of saying you're headed for something that is going to hurt you. And you want it, but I'm telling you as your friend, that's going to hurt you. Those kind of friends, you have something very different in that fellowship. Walking through the hall, hey, how are you? And you've literally had, that's the only conversation you've had with someone every time you've ever saw them. Like there's never been a deeper conversation than that. Is that fellowship? We're in the same place. We looked at each other and we exchanged words. Well, sure, there's a level of fellowship there. But is this really what Jesus is saying happens when we walk in the light? There's something tied in to this whole idea of Christianity that is absolutely about heaven. And it's absolutely not about heaven as we sometimes like to think of it. There's this reality that this world of us being light together demonstrates in some way God's kingdom here on this earth. Just as Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. Pray in this way, your will on earth as it is in heaven. There's an opportunity for us to live in that way. Does this mean that believing and being baptized isn't enough if we are cleansed from all sin when we walk in the light? Well, not necessarily. We often like to read um, where Paul also says, if you will confess with your mouth that, that uh, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Which is really a very nice, very succinct way of sharing the gospel. But so many times we listen to those words, but it doesn't actually penetrate into our hearts. What does it really mean for to confess him as Lord? Like, he's really Lord. What does it mean that I really believe in my heart. Like, I believe this is true. It's very different. We, sh- we spoke just very briefly last week, and again, very briefly this week, about some of the struggles between Paul and James, where Paul says, it's, you, you are saved by faith, not of your works, so that anybody can boast. And yet, James says this, which I just, 
I, I think he, he was not disagreeing with Paul, but he's trying to communicate this already not yetness and this reality that if you're walking in the light, it's going to mean certain things are going to happen. And he says in James 2.18, someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. It's just, it's just like a tightrope, isn't it? Is it works? Is it faith? Well, it's both. And we certainly don't want to make it just about works because I've been in churches where it was just about works. It doesn't really matter what's happening in here. It just matters what you look like on the outside. And I'm going to tell you, that's a cold place. We call those the frozen chosen. But when you really experience this light within your life, it changes things. Here's what I want to leave you with today. As we walk in the light together, we are moved to action. As we act, we demonstrate the light to the world. And as the world sees the light, many will be drawn to it too. It requires that this light within us moves us to action. And the question I'll leave you with, in addition to last week's question, is this. How can we demonstrate the light among us together. We're on a journey for that. And that's not a question we'll answer and we're done. That's something we ought to struggle with as long as we're together. All right? I want to pray with you. Um, I'm also going to pray for our meal so that you won't wait for somebody to come in there and pray before you all start eating. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your friendship. I'm thankful for what God is doing among us, what God's going to do among us. And I'm excited to see us continue to be light in this city and to draw others to that light as well. Father.